0: Welcome back to the One Broadcaster Podcast. Sorry we've been off for a little bit, but we are back in business this week with a return guest. The first of at least a couple of return guests on the pod, but first things first. He's the voice of the Yukon Huskies women's basketball team, the 11-time national champions, the broadcaster for the Yukon Huskies hockey team, producer, game day host, For Yukon Huskies football I'm speaking of Bob Joyce Who joins me on the program today If you like what you hear Please rate, subscribe, and review The Blind Broadcaster Podcast On your favorite platform of choice If you have suggestions of people you'd like to have on the pod Shoot me an email at Luther.king.tsb At gmail.com Find me on Twitter at king underscore tsb And the same email address on Facebook If you'd like to send me a friend request Or if you have suggestions That's how you find me and now, on with the show, with the voice of the Yukon Huskies women's basketball team, Hockey Huskies game day host for football, Bob Joyce. It's the first return visit of a guest on this episode, which I believe is episode of 49 of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. Alrighty. Return guests on the pod. Well, here's number two. Back for a second tour of interviewing the voice of the Yukon Women's Husky basketball team, broadcaster for the Yukon Huskies hockey squad, and umpire if you got a chance to umpire the championship game over the weekend, weather permitting, of course. And I'm happy to be joined again by Bob Joyce. Bobby, have you been?
1: Good, Luther. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Well, question one would be, how interesting was it to get back into a groove when you were doing road games by way of video? And how long did it feel like it took you to adjust to get back into your radio broadcast call, even though you had to wait for the video stream?
1: Didn't take that long. Uh, I mean, when you're home, growing up as a kid doing play-by-play off TV, I guess it's not much different than that. You know, just, you know, not without the detail as a kid, but uh, yeah, it's a couple of games to kind of get used to it, uh, figuring out the the effects and the audio to, uh, Big time. to work out where we didn't have a um, the play-by-play announcers mixed in with the net sound. You had to Get a little device to split that up, but once we figured that out, um, it wasn't too too bad. Um, at least you had the effects in your headsets and it it made it sound like we were there. You do miss some things, but uh once you get into it and uh you gotta treat it like any other game, you gotta have the enthusiasm that the listener expects. And uh, you know, once uh once we got to the big east in the NCAA tournament, uh ESPN was a big help. With us, in fact, uh, they sent the the picture and the Nat sound by a Zoom feed, actually. So uh, yeah, because I cool. I noticed
0: when we got when you got to the Big East, you got to the conference tournament, you played that tournament up in Uncasville, you were able to do those, do the conference tournament live in Uncasville. Yep. Then the NCAA tournament when they were in San Antonio, Texas, you were able to get that feed, and then you were finally able to travel to San Antonio for the Final Four, where it wasn't a grand state like you had in mind, like you normally would have. Let you at least got a chance to call another game live. So
1: yeah, it it was different. Um, you know, you weren't courtside at the Alamo Dome. You were right. up on uh up at the top of the of the bleachers and <laughs> I'll I'll share a funny story with you. We weren't even five minutes into the game, four kids, uh about two, maybe three rows in front of us sat down. Not directly in front of us, but the mom came in. Oh no and it, it was, and she had this just big afro of hair. And she sat directly right in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) That's like you just put your hands up and go anywhere else but there. But you know, so you're dodging and weaving. It's it's almost it's
0: almost like trying to do a high school football game, which I've had to do at the top of the bleachers with a gate to your back. Yeah, pretty much. That that's when you when you were mentioning that story. I'm like, I remember going on. It was a lot la- next to the last game. Of the- it was a matter of fact, it was the last game of the season on Halloween weekend before everything got weird. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Things like 2018 or something like that. But the teacher at the time at a college that helped me out since he- I didn't have any student help. He basically had nothing to do on that particular day. So we just, you know, we drove down, did the game. We were literally at the top of the bleachers, and by the way, it had rained. So it was not only rain, it was not only rainy and wet, but it was coolish. It was getting cold, because you, when you get to the last game of the year, we're talking about upper 40s, low yep. 40s, upper 30s. Yep. Yep. And you know what that's like, especially being in your neck of the woods. Because you can <laughs> tell fall is coming, especially when you're at the last game of the year, and you know you have nothing to play for, except for the fact that, oh, pride's pride and a few other things.
1: You know, Autumn's, Autumn actually has been pretty – we've been pretty lucky. The, the, the few football games that I've done in the last few years – in fact, I did the last UConn home football game they played. Of course, they didn't play last season because no. of COVID. But in 2019, I did the last football game. And it was, it was mid to upper 40s. It wasn't too too bad. It was a sunny day. So it wasn't was all that, that bad. Was that the know,
0: football that basketball Was it the that football was, basketball yes, over yeah,
1: that? yeah, the men's basketball team was done in Charleston – Uh, for three games. And considering it was the last game of the season, last home game of the season for the football team, I I told the men's crew, go do the men's game. That's a little more important at this point, um, as opposed to a meaningless football game. So yeah, I worked with our uh, program director and uh, Adam, our regular sideline guy was on the field. It was probably the best game of the year, arguably the most competitive game of the year for both
0: teams so Uh, who who was with who was with you in the on the Cutler and so did you pull a Utah Jazz and Dave Locke in his first years as the lead radio voice where he'd only have himself plus whoever was on the floor on the radio side for sideline purposes
1: no it was Ben Darnell our program director at the radio station he played uh, NAIA college football so he's got a lot of football experience and he he was really good he prepared really well and, and he he had worked previously down in the Carolinas so he was very familiar with the East Carolina program so it was a good fit the chemistry was good and uh and it was good for Adam because he didn't have to fill with fluff on the sideline he actually had game stuff to talk about which is which is great you want to get the sideline and you know the sideline guy well, you want him to tell some stories and be prepared in that standpoint luther but um, I also want to know in a close game, hey, what's going on on the sideline? What are the coaches saying if you can
0: uh, what's the try energy to get like on the air? field? Can they, you know, yeah. do so that? They, they feel always... like they can make a comeback?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they did. I mean, they had a chance to uh, tie the game on the last play of the game and uh, the quarterback threw an interception at the goal line <laughs> on, the, on the last play of the game. So I uh, couldn't ask for much more than that and I am hoping that the uh that the year off a red shirt year. Uh, we'll call it for everybody. Uh, certainly helped. They got in the weight room, and I think finally now they're all caught up. Because when UConn football's been good, they've had a lot of 50-year seniors. Yep. And uh, we're at that point right now. So uh, we'll see what happens in August, when uh, late August, when they get back on the And on the plus,
0: now that, you, now that UConn's back as an independent, mm-hmm. I don't know if that helps them or hurts them football-wise, because being an independent, you you literally don't you know, have the fluidity of a conference schedule to deal with. You can basically play almost whoever you want within reason. Right.
1: Uh, I guess later in the season games are more difficult to get than early season, but they've been able to work it out. Uh, Obviously the natural teams that you can always have on your schedule would be Army and UMass. Sure. Because of their close proximity, I mean, you kind of UMass basically have an agreement when when you have an open date, let's play, and I think that's going to be the case. Uh, it's good for the good for the region. I mean, yeah, you know, they brought Yale back and Holy Cross back this year, which was doesn't help, but uh, no, but but, but I but think, at least,
0: but at least you got some teams out of local though. You're not like oh, we have to go all the way out to Provo, Utah, and play. BYU, no, I, I know, to it down
1: I'm this. aware of that. I mean, it's never going to be the same as the old Big East. We all know that um, we're, we're, fully aware of that, but uh, we'll, we'll see what this project look like. Looks like it's going to win some games first, you know, uh, you know, in the Northeast, if you can go out and win seven or eight games a year, that's, that's doing something. I, I don't expect this team, uh, you know, to ever be at the point where they're going to win 11 or 12 games in a season no. and get a, and get a big time bowl bid. But if they can go win at least seven or eight games and play in a bowl game every year, uh, that's doing, that's doing something in the right
0: direction. What do you think the tie-ins will be bowl game-wise since they're independent? I mean, no idea. They, no idea. The fact it that right we now. don't know what the new structure is going to be since everything was kind of weird from last year. So we don't know who's going to be where.
1: Nope. Uh, but I, they do have a TV contract uh, between SNY and CBS Sports Network. So that's a start. That's a, that's a good start in the right
0: direction. You think that's what's going to be back on the, as the full-time TV voice?
1: Um, I think they're going to split the games. I think CBS Sports Network's going to do a lot. I think SNY is going to do some games too. So, I mean, that's that's a good start. At least they're getting exposure mm-hmm. uh, to get a start, and uh, obviously that helps in recruiting. And 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 the goal is always to try to play the try to play the uh, the regional teams. Uh, you know, they they've got a renewal with Syracuse coming up. They've got one with BC coming up. Awesome. Um, you know, Rutgers would be a natural fit. I mean, Greg Schiano and Randy Edsall, that ten years between. 2010 uh, they had some pretty wild games between those two teams that was probably well not probably that was definitely the rival um for UConn in the Big East Randy was just a different animal every time you kind of records got together so uh so yeah uh that's that's the goal um will it happen I don't know but uh, they got some power fives on the schedule this year I mean <laughs> you got back-to-back games this year at Clemson and at UCF <laughs> in November Oof. So and uh, I
0: think I think one of those UCF kids transferred to Clemson, I think, didn't he? Uh I think that? the UCF
1: quarterback that was hurt went to Florida State, I think.
0: Something like I I know he went somewhere, but he was like he was special before he got hurt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was Mr. Everything.
1: Yeah, he was he was an outstanding quarterback. It's it's god awful what happened to the kid. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, it happened to Tua. Sure. He was able to come back, but this is totally different. This is, you're talking about a kid that uh, nearly lost his leg. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, the fact that he's even in in the, in giving himself a chance to uh, compete for a job is, uh, is pretty impressive.
0: And let's not forget with UCF, they now have Gus Malzon, who was recently relieved of his duties at Auburn. So it's Mm going to be interesting to see how Gus Malzon does dropping down a level from the SEC to the American.
1: Well, the American actually for football is not a bad league. Well, um traditionally Memphis was. is usually pretty good. Um UCF's always good. Uh USF's, you know, kind of in that in that area. But uh
0: the will see department.
1: Yeah, yeah. But uh but you know, I mean the fact that UCF's the biggest public university in Florida and you know, they don't even have to leave the state to recruit kids. That's that's the best that's part even better. about it for down there. That's even better. Um, you know. UConn's got some Florida kids on their roster, but but UCF has done has done really well for themselves down there, and and uh, you know we'll see how the uh, the change at, at the coaching spot does for them. Um, I think us will do okay. I mean, you know, you've got great talent. You just got to put it together and uh, make sure that um, you've got all your ducks in a row and and continue to just stay on the upswing.
0: How much tweaking do you think in the director's chair you're going to do this season now that you have football back? Or do you just like what? Tweaking with the, uh, like the broadcast and vice versa. Are you going to be able to do handling, you know, like the log and everything like that with the football magazine, football magazine show coming back 90 minutes prior to Mm -hmm. each kickoff? Or are you just going to keep the log the way it is since you got the full year off? Or do you go back and look at that with football and say, okay, we had the year off. How much of this do we keep? How much of this do we, you know, tweak or maybe move into different positions?
1: Uh, fact, it's funny you'd mention that. Cause we're going to discuss that tomorrow. Um, my boss and I were going to bring that up. So uh, yeah, we might, we might tweak a few things. What we're exactly, we're going to do. I don't know. We're just gonna do some brainstorming and go from there to see, uh, what goes where, and for home games too, we do an extra ninety minutes from the game site on our flagship station. So home games, it's usually three hours of stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll start working on that. Yeah, it's 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 you know for it for a team three that's
0: hours. A, for yeah, an eleven a.m. kickoff God. for a new kick.
1: Yeah, yeah, for a noon Gosh. Eastern kick. Yep. So yeah. The ne- I mean, so the uh, network
0: that that almost is like what West, West Virginia does with theirs. No,
1: no, no, no. We're doing we're doing 90 minutes on our flagship station solely, and then we do 90 minutes, an extra 90 minutes on the network. So uh, yeah, it's just it's just to give us a presence at the you know the radio station a presence there. Uh, We do it outside from uh, from a gazebo actually that's been there for years. Even uh, when we were when TIC had the rights, it was that same spot. Uh, So. So, yeah, it just it just gives us a little more exposure out there. It gives us, uh, you know, extra inventory and talk football. Um, we're trying to make football a big deal, but right now it's just a hard sell.
0: Okay, answer me this. How much is umpiring with you being an umpire either on the base paths or behind the plate looking at bowls and strikes help you with the actual broadcast that you actually get a chance to call? I know I know we're talking about two separate sports and mediums here, but how much do you feel like when you're doing umpiring slash so trying to make sure a game is, you know, controlled in a proper way, mm-hmm. do you feel like you can take into, you know, a basketball call or a hockey call, or even when you're filling in for Crispino or when you did with Jody Ambrosio with football?
1: Uh, you just appreciate what the officials do even more. It's not an easy job. Uh, most of the time you've don't, I mean, clearly at our level, we don't have replay to help us out. You try to make the best call you possibly can, the best decision you can possibly can and uh, put yourself in the best position to make said call. You're not going to get everything right. It's just not going to happen. Um, but uh, you do the best you can and you have a little more empathy for what these officials are calling. Uh, the only thing that, that drives me, crazy as a basketball announcer when the officials make a questionable call it's like if the if the, the official right in front of the play is not making a call and you get a call from the official in the back like uh the trail official who thought all the way at something. the time
0: stripe i know yeah where that, that kind of
1: yeah, that, that drives you a little bit crazy but are I, you I talking
0: about doing. the elite Eight game at the end of it where no,
1: no not necessarily no i mean look look was it a foul. Absolutely. It was, sure. but the officials had set the precedent, uh, throughout the game that they were going to let, let them play. Yep. And that was, that just happened to be, uh, the most scrutinized play because it was the last play of yep. the game. But, uh, if you go back, you can see on both ends, it was physical. It was tough. Uh, page Beckers was grabbed, held anything that you could possibly imagine. And half the time the fouls weren't being called. So, sure. uh, you know, while while yes, I agree. Um, a. Carrington was fouled at the end of the game. The officials didn't call it, so uh, you know they, they had set they had set the uh, they had set the bar and uh, they stuck to it. So it is what it is. Um, you can't go crying about it now. Nope. And, uh, <laughs> you can't, and you go on. So, so how yeah.
0: many how many Final Fours with this one does that make for you? Actually, getting to call a Final Four for you? Uh, well, the last
1: thirteen. Um the the only final four that I went to when I wasn't the main voice was two thousand four when both the men and the women were playing in the in the final four. Now Joe did all four games. Um, both the two, yeah, he traveled back and forth. I mean, hey, I wondered that how that worked. But I was in New Orleans um just helping out, getting sound, uh, you know, being there for the interviews. We actually broadcasted live from New Orleans at a radio station. There with Final Four coverage, so uh, yeah. And I found out uh, two days before we were leaving that I was going because at the beginning of the month back in two thousand four, I asked if there was any chance of me going. I was told no, and then the day after the Elite Eight game, I said I was told, uh, you know, hey, you're going to New Orleans. What do you need to get done? What do we need to do for you? It's like, uh, okay, so
0: like all right, so, uh, changed my game plan. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it was it was an interesting couple of days leading up to uh, to leaving, but it all worked out. And uh, the last 13 Final Fours they've been in, I have called. I have been the full-time voice, well, 15 years now. But uh, in the 14 NCAA tournaments that they have played, that I have been the lead voice, they went to the Elite Eight the first year, and they've been in the Final Four
0: ever since. And you've only had, if my math is right, we talked about this before, you've only had technically two long-term partners with a couple of fillings. Right, Kara?
1: Karen yep. and uh Debbie for the last 9. Yeah, and, and Debbie's been amazing. She is uh, you can't have a bad day working with Deb. She's such, she's such a positive person and uh she knows the game so so well. She has that point guard's perspective and uh yeah, it's it's just a pleasure to work with Debbie.
0: So How long did it take cuz I know you and I talked about this the first time when how long it took you guys to actually get a flow but would you say after the exhibition games, you guys out of Florida, did you have to get a couple of regular season games in to say, okay?
1: You're talking about the
0: first year? Yeah. Like when, like when, when Kara Walters left after the Final Four at the Pepsi Center to go handle SNY, mm-hmm. I think that was what, 08 after the 07 no, that was season? was 2012. 2012.
1: Oh, 2012 was, was Kara's last Final Four. Oh wow.
0: Because I cause there's the I, I remember in when you guys went to Denver and lost another day.
1: Yeah, that's the last one she did. Ah, okay. And that was that's with the last uh, one she did. I'm
0: trying to think who was that with the the UConn bunch with uh with the other name of Skylar Diggins and uh, Ruth Riley, right? Yeah.
1: Uh no, Ruth Riley was uh she graduated in oh one. That was Kayla McBride. Yeah. That Diggins, was Natalie Novisel. That yeah. was um Deborah O'Peters. Right. Uh who's the was, D- was Diggins
0: on that team or was she like?
1: Yes yeah she was a uh she was a junior
0: And now and now she's married now in the WNBA Yep
1: Yeah, yeah I actually and... had a chance to talk to her last uh <laughs> when the uh, when the US national team played UConn a year ago January I actually went over and said hi to her um for a couple minutes and it was the day after Kobe passed away unfortunately
0: Yeah but uh, I, yeah that but, one... but
1: But that was a fun game to do. There were so many former uh, former UConn players on that team and so many uh, former rivals. So uh, so, yeah, that was a fun game to do. And then it took uh, UConn about six minutes to get acclimated by the style of play and the speed. Mm -hmm. And then they did all right. Um, As far as your question back to Debbie, probably took Debbie and I about half a season to really get comfortable working with each other. That long um, just with a chemistry. Yeah. I mean, and Debbie needed some, you know, yeah, it takes time. It takes sure. time to develop a, a good chemistry, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, but uh, since then she's been tremendous. And obviously uh, the, the better the games, uh, the more you get a chance to analyze. And when she has to do that, she's, she's magnificent.
0: And there's been a few games where you've flown solo or either you or, or your partner has actually had no voice at all on a couple of occasions.
1: Uh just that one yeah well Debbie had had a couple um mine was uh 2013
0: Was it was uh, that the, was that the Puerto Rico trip?
1: No. Well the men yeah, the men were in Puerto Rico. I did football the night before. Oy. And it was in the 30s and it was outside and I woke up the next morning without uh, without a voice. So yeah, the the first half uh was okay, the second half was really hard and when the game was over my producer said I got the post game it's like go for Thank it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Like, thank you. I need all the rest I can get.
1: And I didn't, uh, I didn't talk for three days after that because uh, we obviously, and I had uh, was it Sunday to Friday where I <laughs> really didn't say much because uh, we were in Florida for three days over Thanksgiving. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, green tea with lemon and honey and a lot of rest. And the voice wasn't 100% yet when uh, when we got to Florida, but uh, it was better than it was.
0: <clears throat> um, what was I getting? Oh, yes. New Vanderbilt women's basketball coach, Shea Ralph, who got hired, what, almost just over a week ago? If my math is correct. Yeah, she was I introduced saw it Wednesday.
1: On... Yeah, Tuesday she was, she was hired, yeah.
0: I saw it on Twitter, and I'm like, okay. Is this her first really major coaching assignment besides being an assistant coach? It's her first head coaching job. Yes. What do you think she will bring to Vanderbilt here on West end that folks here that don't get the chance to see the Yukon women, you know, as often since you were here, what, two or three years ago when UConn made the trip down here, mm-hmm. what, do you see Shea Rao bringing to the Vanderbilt program?
1: She'll bring intensity. She'll bring a will to win. Um, she will bring a demand of striving to be perfect, to achieve excellence. She's an outstanding recruiter. Um, Vanderbilt's a, a time tested program that, uh, as she said, she's not trying to, uh, resurrect she's just trying to revive you know uh the winning culture there um it's going to take some time and there might be some uh you know there might be some painful moments in the first couple of years but if she's able to bring a uh, a hard working talented kid that's uh, willing to uh, push themselves to the limit to uh to see how good they can be and how much they can be pushed. Um, I think they'll do a good job there. But in this day and age, Luther, with the kids today, um, I'm not sure that's an easy thing. I don't know if there's enough of them, but uh, she knows how to recruit. She knows what she's looking for, and and, uh, I think she'll do a good job there.
0: Okay, since you brought it up, let's get to it. (laughs) Let's talk about the NCAA transfer rule. I know this is one that grinds my gears a little bit. I don't know about you, but this does for me, kind of, sort of. You get one automatic, you get one transfer. You can automatically play immediately. And I'm thinking, so basically what you're telling me is, if the kid's not happy and they're not willing to stick it out or sweat it out and, you know, be there when the success actually happens, then what does that mean, you know, for the school, when they start having success and you go somewhere And that school doesn't have success, maybe not because of you, but you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not liking it here either. So you transfer, but then you lose that. You basically usually lose your next year. Do you think that maybe the one free transfer where you can actually play is a good thing or a bad thing for college hoops or for all of college sports? It's chaos agree. It's, college,
1: it's, it's essentially college free agency. Yeah. In my mind, that's what it is. Uh, look, I mean, uh, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. I mean, Destiny Slocum's a, a good example. I mean, she had an outstanding freshman year at Maryland. Yep. And then she decided, I'm going to go to Oregon State and play. And then after two years there where she got her degree, she had one more year and she decided to go elsewhere and play at Arkansas. And with the uh, with a decent amount of success. I mean, the last two games for Arkansas are forgettable.
0: In the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament where they where yeah, they got knocked out by Rice State, which I did not see coming because the way yeah. they played Connecticut, I thought they were going to at least get well, to the round of 32.
1: Well, Luther, their their two their two biggest wins were at home to Baylor early in the season, Andy Yukon, yep. and you know, I know some people that covered the SEC tournament over the last couple of years and they run hot and cold. Uh, the game before UConn, Amber Ramirez, who scored 24 against UConn, did not score against Georgia. So that's, you know, and she can hit the three.
0: And who was the other one that really gave UConn fix? There was another one. Was it Slocum? It uh, was a
1: Ford. I don't recall her name off the top For, of my what, head. Was, but it was a Ford? Somebody? That, uh, there was a Ford. Uh, Chelsea uh, Dungy obviously that had Dungy. the huge game. Yeah, she did. Had the huge game. We know she could be a scorer, but uh, mm-hmm. the little thing, if, if you got a second secondary scorer, or a third score to help balance things out. You're going to win, and Amber Ramirez scored 24. Yep. And Arkansas hit a bunch of threes. Um, I think it was like you what You've kind of only lost by three points, but but still, I mean, Arkansas shot the lights out that day. It's going to happen, and you know they did the same thing to Baylor. Yep. But uh, they run hot and cold, and the two inst- and the two postseason games, they ran cold. I mean, that's what it is, and Chelsea Dungy was exhibit A of that. I mean, she's a high-volume scorer where mm-hmm. she needs a lot of shots normally to score a lot of points. Well, we saw that in the SEC tournament, and we saw that in the NCAA tournament, and she obviously scored a lot of points from the free-throw line in that NCAA tournament game, but if you're not getting the support, and it's it's a lot like, you know, any team. If you get one person that's doing all well the scoring, you're going to have a hard time winning. It's, a, it's like it's like a it's
0: like a home run hitter in baseball and you you see you see this at baseball at the college at the pro at the minor league or maybe even at your level I don't know you know I don't know if you see this at your level with either high school or you know games that you call or umpired where you have one good hitter and then everybody else goes hot and gold
1: well yeah i mean imagine you do um yeah, the Yankees are Exhibit A. I mean, it's all they, oh. they basically bought themselves. You know, they purchase all their players based on power. You know, uh, the launch angle. The nerds of baseball have ruined baseball. <laughs> you know, guys don't know how to put ball, balls in play anymore. No, it's either, they don't. It's either it's either a feast or famine. Either hit, you try to hit the ball out of the ballpark, or you, or you strike out. You know, nobody puts the ball in play as much anymore. There's a few guys that do that. The Red Sox have done that during their nice their recently. And they're up and 8-2 right now in the third inning as we do this on Patriots Day. But, yes, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, the good teams know how to put the ball in play. They know how to execute on the bases. Uh, the little things that uh, used to be done in baseball aren't done anymore. Guys don't know how to bunt anymore. You don't know how to play small ball anymore. Now, um, check nobody, this out. Nobody man. wants to because, oh, hey, I make $300 million. You're asking me to bunt? It's like, well, you know, that's part
0: of baseball. Check and, this out, though. Dandy, when they were playing Tennessee, they had, what was it? They had first and second. They got a bunt down. Yeah, they didn't score any runs, but it made the pitcher have to throw extra pitches. You may mm-hmm. not score, but at least the one thing is when you at least put a bunt down or do the little things well, put the ball in play without striking out. Even if you hit into a double play, yeah, it may change the center of the inning, but at least you're making a pitcher have to throw extra pitches so they can get out quicker.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if pitchers know. I mean... You know, the major leagues, you don't have guys that – a lot of guys that throw just junk. You know, throw high 80s yeah, and then throw off speed stuff like Greg Maddox used to do. he be able to spot his pitches. Guys don't oh, have pitches anymore, and they're throwing extra pitches. You know, uh, you know. I mean, look, my son only played in high school, but right. uh, he, he just absolutely pounded the strike zone. He pitched the contact, and, you know, if he had a good defense behind him, he had a good day on the mound, especially his senior year.
0: Shane Rance, you Mike need that. Annie. You don't.
1: You don't have that anymore. You have guys no. that throw, you know, close, to, you know, mid to upper nineties or hundred plus or hundred plus, like you know, more than ever before, and just this god awful nasty breaking stuff. But there's no more. You know, there are very few guys. No in the major ch- no guys that, that are, are finesse us.
0: guys. Yeah. I mean, th- think of, think of the guys that you and I used to listen to and watch, and when the Braves are doing well. Smultzy could do it from time to time. Danny Nagel could do it. Steve Trachtenberg could do it. Al Leiter could, you know, temper temper it down when he needed to. I mean, guys are like, oh, I I could throw, you know, ninety seven with gas and keep climbing the ladder. But if you if you can't throw ninety seven, but you're in the middle of the plate, that ninety seven, if it's straight as the string and you got a good hitter that knows how to hit it. Right. you are not going to be long. I mean, I can, I can. I mean, think about this. I am a Cardinals fan. Okay, I. You're a Red Sox fan. I mean, you and you and I both know. Good baseball when we see it, or in mm-hmm. this case, for me, listen to it. I mean, I was born in the mid '80s, but I still go back and watch. Some of the old school Cardinals that would put a bunt down. You know, stretch a single to a double, steal bases, really make the pitcher go nuts.
1: Yeah, and they play on a carpet too, like the royal, like the Cardinals and the Royals did. I mean, when the artificial turf was was more yeah. relevant in in baseball, but they were built for those sure for those buildings. Uh, I mean, the and Royals, now, but it's
0: playing on grass. You hardly you hardly. Well, see it should be
1: everything. it should be played on grass. I mean, let, let's be honest the, the old well, sure. artificial turf is the worst thing that they ever could have done. And agree. And so, I mean, that's the way it should be played, but you know, Red Sox have never really had a ton of speed. I mean, uh, when Ellsbury was there and mid two thousands, I think 2013 and 2007, they had more speed than, than they had before. Um, even, even when Mookie was there, uh, and Jackie Bradley, they would be aggressive on the bases, but yeah, I mean, uh, look what, it's amazing what happens with a managerial change. Uh, yep. you know, as much as, as, um, Controversial as uh, Joey, as Alex Corr was with the whole thing in in Houston. Yeah, I mean the Red Sox won with him, and then uh, you know now that he's back, he's essentially uh, brought the culture back of winning that he's had. And I mean, yeah, and the Red at- Sox have made some changes and stuff, but but uh, yeah, they got a decent little ball club. I'm actually uh, you know watching them more and more now, and uh, they're fun to watch again.
0: I mean the Cardinals were down two nothing yesterday. I've listened to their game yesterday. And I'm like, the things that are concerning me with this team, I mean, they've got, you know, Anola Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina's getting some hits. But I need to see some more out of some of the other sport guys. Paul DeYoung, he's coming on lately. Mm-hmm. But I I, but I need to see some more, because I mean, with O'Neal out, I need to see the guys that have speed, you know, put the ball in play, besides Tommy Edmond. I need, I need to see more of the guys that have the speed – Make the pitcher go bonkers. We don't need homers every time, but I would li- I would like to see. I mean, is this asking too much?
1: Having good at game? bats, having good at bats is a lost start in the major leagues. Thank you. The ch- there's there's no discipline. I mean, the Red Sox. Uh, and I'll use twenty thirteen. I'll even use twenty eighteen. You, you know, the, the four championship years that they've had. One of the things that they were really good at was their patience at the plate. Yep, they made the pitchers work the counts. And they worked the counts to get their pitch to hit again, and especially like against my counts 20 up,
0: and the then they filed series. off a lot.
1: And they filed off a lot of pitches. Yes, your right the pitch count up, and that's. Uh, you know, that's a lost start, Luther. You know, you know I, now in this day and age, with the launch angle and all that stuff, that's and i I I'm hate telling it. you, the, the the I work with Rob Dibble, and you know who Rob Dibble is. <laughs> oh, and, and, and,
0: I mean, who? I mean, think.
1: Hold on. I um, mean, and he talks about all
0: the <laughs> <Dibble> time.
1: Well, <laughs> kids, uh, young kids mean, don't because he coaches baseball now. He coaches AAU teams, and they don't know he pitched in the major
0: leagues. The nasty but, boys um, in the Bread's bull bullpen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he just—he always talks about the analytics. The analytics are good to a point, but it comes down to to execution. And I just think the nerds of baseball are ruining the game.
0: Who, totally. who, who was that famous football coach that always would say, "Focus on the fundamentals." Pick mean, a it, coach. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who that coach was, but it was it was like a it was like either a college coach or it was a pro coach And hey, always. From-
1: Hey, I hear it from Randy Edsel all the time. It comes down to fundamentals and techniques. That's what it comes down to. Okay. And it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't have the fundamentals and techniques in the game, you're not going to be very good.
0: When UConn was on a nice little stretch, what were they doing well besides passing the basketball well? You're talking about the women? Yep. This year? Mm Mm-hmm. Besides constant ball movement, second and third chance rebounds, doing basically the um, their well. defense
1: got their defense got better as the year went on. Uh, they weren't a, they weren't a very good defensive team early in the season, but that right. was to be expected when you have, you know, most of your roster are first year players. And that includes, yep. you know, Westbrook. I mean, it was their first year playing for UConn. So that was to be expected. Right. But after the Arkansas game, they 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 were embarrassed. At their at their defense, sure, and it got better and better with every game. Um, Kristen Williams took it upon herself to to be the defensive stopper, and she did a pretty good job with it Um, throughout the rest of the regular season. I mean, they held South Carolina under sixty points, yep, which is hard to do. Now, granted, South Carolina missed a lot of chippies in that game, Uh, but again, they missed a lot. But they missed a lot of chippies all season long. So that was that was not just an aberration. In that game. And it's just kind of ironic that the two, they two, the two they missed at the end of regulation to beats, that could have beaten Stanford.
0: <laughs> well, right. And
1: then poor Leah Boston had an open look straight on oh. and she back rimmed it.
0: I mean, but right that was at their the season. rim.
1: That was I mean, their right season in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, for UConn, though, I mean, they got more, you know, Kristen Williams became more of a consistent scorer with her. Because because she became a really good defensive player, um, mm-hmm. she didn't really th- worry about her offense a whole lot. It just kind of came. Uh, Avina Westbrook ran hot and cold. Yep. The emergence of Aaliyah Edwards in the that, post to me that was big. Played a big role. Well, I I was you know I was more excited to watch her play this season than Paige. I mean you know we all know how good Paige Beckers is, and she mm-hmm. and she certainly lived up to the hype. But um, she's I was only really going to get excited. Better. Yeah, I was excited to watch Aliyah Edwards this season. Uh, UConn hasn't had a player like her on the post in a while, and it was good to see. And I, I just can't wait to see her her development over the next three years as, as a player. I mean, she's she's legit. She's going to be an All American by the time she's done here two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just she just has that it factor uh, along with Paige, and they're going to make a they're going to make quite the
0: duo for the next couple and, of years. And look and look at the class they got coming in this year. And oh yeah you're also bringing in your, your, your Dorka U-Haas um, you know, from uh, Ohio State. And I listened yeah. to the Chasing Perfection podcast last Tuesday and they like, because somebody had asked, I think it was the guy who asked, where does U-has fit in fit on this team? And I'm thinking to myself, hey, if she's transferring in here to play her last few years at Connecticut, they will find a place for her, especially when you've been all big 10 twice and all American in the big 10 place. They are going to well, find a place for her.
1: Well, w- one thing that, you know, the great thing about UConn, just because you come here, doesn't mean you're going to play. You earn your way here, right? There's nothing, there's nothing given to you. You you yep. earn your, you earn all your, all the playing time you get. And that goes right to Paige Beckers, even the best players. Yep. Um, the question is how much do you want to be pushed? How, how, how much are you willing to, uh, to basically have your game broken down and built back up because that's what they do at UConn. They tear Mm -hmm. your game down. They find all the little, they find everything. Their attention to detail is amazing, Luther. And they build you back up. And, you know, some players decide, hey, this isn't for me and opt out and transfer. and That's that's fine. That's that's their choice.
0: I think one player. But other kids
1: embrace it. And uh, Paige Beckers is the type of kid that's willing to embrace it. Aliyah Edwards is the type of kid that's willing to embrace it. Mm-hmm. And I get the feeling that AZ Fudd is is in that same in that same boat. Um, but there are going to be some they're going to be it's going to be an interesting look because uh, UConn hasn't had this big a roster in a long, long time. But they're going to have a lot of depth. Um, you, you can see it helps Stanford. I mean, they played ten on a regular basis. Gino usually is comfortable with seven seven eight to nine. eight in his in his rotation, you know, when 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 it gets to the big games. Right. Um, I'll be interested to see what that looks like when UConn starts playing big games in the
0: 21-22 season. What the I mean, not to get in Gino's mind for a second, but since you pretty much have a good relationship with him, his coaching staff, and everybody involved with women's basketball, with this team constructed as it is now when you don't have a Makarot coming back, I think, I think she was the one who transferred. Mm -hmm. Even you, even though you lose her, you hardly lose much at all with what Gino and his staff have coming in. And you got Mm -hmm. you coming in as a transfer. Well, that's the hope. That's the hope. I mean, Anna,
1: you know, Anna was at the end of the rotation of the regulars right and you know i i feel bad for her i mean sure. this is a kid who came came back to campus in the best shape of her life but um you know two weeks before classes start everyone was a mandated quarantine Ooh. so that certainly doesn't help and and you know it just it plays games with you it plays games with your head it plays games with your confidence it plays you know how you deal with it and everybody handles it differently and i just think uh That didn't help. And then she got hurt. She had a little back issue and then she had the the foot problem that uh, kept her out for, uh, for about a month, month and a half. So, uh, you know, I feel bad for, um, she's a great kid. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when you're also going to school halfway, halfway around the world from where you live, that certainly can't help either Uh, that that can take a toll on you. And I think ultimately it did. Um, she's not the only one in the family. I mean, her sister, transferred from utah i don't know if she's going back to to poland to try to play professionally like uh, like anna is right but uh but yeah i mean sometimes you know life takes a crazy bounce and and you just have to adapt but i they're not gonna they're not gonna miss lose much without anna being there she was a piece of the puzzle but she wasn't a big piece of the puzzle she was she was a contributor um great passer um just an okay defender but uh, she was certainly, you know, help, helped on offense and she'd hit the occasional three. But with this group coming in, I mean, they're going to have, I mean, again, Luther, they're going to be young. Yes. You know, we don't to talk about the seniors, but <laughs> um, the realization is that 10 kids on this team are
0: going to be freshmen be or freshmen sophomores. sophomores. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Speaking of one of the sophomores, speaking of one of the uh, freshmen and sophomores, even though. She didn't really play much because she got in where foot that same foot she got hurt with twice. And I know you're I know who you know I'm talking who I'm talking about, Anika Mule. Where do you think she will fit in this puzzle next season? Good question. Uh
1: for she needs to be she needs to be better on offense. Right. We know what she can do defensively. We know how good a passer she is. She she's more of a pass first than shoot first than pages is, and, and one thing that uh, was disturbing early in the season, mm-hmm. if uh, if Nika would take it in traffic and drive to the hoop, uh, a lot of her misses inside were ugly. They weren't even close, and that's something that she's got to clean up. But, um, you know, you know, you, you know what you're going to get from a point guard because, you know, she compliments Paige really well mm-hmm. when, when they're out there on the floor. But she needs to be more of an offensive she has been
0: moving on offense, triple threat, yeah. drive, yeah. you know, drive, draw and kick triple threat. Where? If- um,
1: not so much that. I mean, she just needs to be more, she needs to score more to take, right. you know, sure. to, to make if you know, the really good Yukon teams, mm-hmm. they got production from all five positions on the floor. You just mm-hmm. can't, there are times that they, they would lay off Nika Mule and there were some big East games. They left her open. She made some shots and then suddenly, you know, things open up and you become a factor again. But um you know, she just needs to be more consistent. She can give them like eight to ten points a game, on a regular basis. Knock mm-hmm. down a couple of threes per game, she'll be she'll be fine.
0: What would you like to see more out of Olivia next year? If you if you if you were you know, I mean, she would get your double figure rebound. She would she would flirt with a double double, flirt with a triple double. I love the way she passes out of the post though. Yeah, I love the For way sure. she passes out of the post. I love the way she boards it. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see you see if you can, you know, get more consistent and get a triple double, get me a 10, 10, 10. Because I would really open more of the outside up. She's got to, she's got to get
1: tougher around the rim. Yep. She's got to finish more around the rim. I mean, you know, I mean, look, look, you know, she did some really good things in the Baylor win. Yep. Defensively and assists. And she had five blocks in the Baylor game. Right. They had a season high. I mean, think about this. The team had a season high in blocks against Baylor. Baylor.
0: Baylor. And, and <laughs> look, still, look and, mind that's, and that's something you don't see with a Kim Malky team because they are long. Right. A right. Kim Malky bunch is long right. and lanky and look just like fr- gazelles on the floor. Yeah.
1: The, the thing about Liv, she just needs to get tougher. Yeah. Um, I remember freshman year, they're trying to work her on a, on a hook shot. <laughs> She's six foot five. She's got long arms. Yep. Learn that hook shot. Watch Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Oh, yeah. Go back and watch. I mean, way. the dude lived on the Skyhook. I mean, it was a devastating shot. Well, she won't take that. She'll take that fallaway jumper in the lane. Why? Where she doesn't have to. She just can go straight up with it. But you know, you watch that Arizona game. I mean, she was zero for seven. Uh, you yeah, know, she I missed want, a couple I of fallaways. But she, but around the rim, those shots weren't even close. She's got to be. She's got to be able to finish better. Um, otherwise, she's going to get lost in the shuffle here.
0: Like, that's what I was wondering because it concerned me. I'm like, I'm sitting there, I listened to the game. When Utah was making their run, I'm like, okay, they're back within five. And then I'm like, and then like you're like live follow it. I'm like, why? I'm like, you are six five. The, the the tallest player Arizona has is like what six two six three. Because Luther, Maybe. when
1: uh, when things when things get tough, you tend to revert back to what you're comfortable doing no matter who Mm -hmm. you are unless you're willing to improve and say I've got to do this better well uh, I I think she took a big step back the last three games of the NCAA tournament Liv wasn't much of a factor from a scoring standpoint and she has to be now granted she's a bet you know she she plays on the high post she can hit that 15 footer but really she really doesn't want a whole lot to do with the post you know, getting physical and offense inside. I just don't think she's she's built that way. She's wired that way. And I'm gonna be interested to see how
0: she does how she
1: does and how she does what she does in the off season to try to change that. Because obviously she's she's a good post player. Yep in the big east, mm-hmm. but when you play the South Carolinas, when you play the Baylors, when you play the Oregons, when you play the non-conference schedule that UConn plays every year, when yep. when you play in a normal season, you're gonna be measured by that. You're gonna be measured by what you do in the NCAA tournament. I hope what uh, I hope Olivia puts that stat puts that stat line in her locker room from that Arizona game and uses that motivation seven. the way that Tina Charles used it in her freshman year when Sylvia Files just dominated her in the elite eight Mm -hmm. in Fresno back in the 2007. Yep. And we know what Tina Charles turned into. Yep. Can Olivia be that same player? I don't know, but this is a big year for her for so many reasons coming up because right now, um, she's not a WNBA type player in my mind. She won't, she won't succeed in that league. If she, if she goes into, if she has the same kind of year next season as she had this season, um, she, she might even be, she'll be drafted. Even she'll be
0: on any draft boards.
1: Ah, eh, she might be. She might second be. round, but, maybe um, third. Yeah, probably. But that doesn't that doesn't guarantee you anything unless there's okay. expansion because right now there's only what twelve teams in WNBA.
0: Yeah, I think it's there's twelve. Because I, I read something. Open. What was it? I read something on what was it Friday about like expansion teams. You know, the with the league being in a good place. Mm-hmm. You know, what, France, what cities could use, you know, expansion in the NBA, in the WNBA, my bad. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, if there were, you know, six extra teams, you could get it to 18. And a player like, I don't know, Olivia or some other players that make and take that, that step forward if there are extra teams where they will, where they can get more opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a possibility, but again, I don't know how much John Maxwell or John Gordon you listen to, or, you know, read, but they always talk about, you know, changing and adapting. Either you have have one or two options here. You either adapt because you want to, or you're being forced to adapt, and life's going to force you to adapt whether you want to or not. And I think right. as you talked right. about, yes, want to. I think, I think when you talk about with Olivia, like, you know, if you and I just sitting here, just shooting the breeze, like we always do on these podcasts, we talk, we look at players and talk about players like, okay, what are they doing? Are they adapting because they want to adapt or is, you know, their game being forced to adapt and change with stronger athletes you know, ladies that can take their game that already have their patented game and so on and so forth. How do the players that are already in women's college basketball or in basketball or in any sport adapt with these other p- people that are coming out of high school mm-hmm. with, the, with their game already matured? Well,
1: their game's matured to a point when they get to college, especially when you come to UConn. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean Gino really impressed with what Paige has done as far as her preparation goes, but the sky's a limit for Paige. There's so much that she has to learn right. still as good a year as she had as a freshman. Um, she's, there's just so much more that she
0: has to learn sure. to be, to be the elites of the, the elite. elite. Like the Katie Lou's and the theses and the Katie Lou's, and oh yes. And the Dewey's uh, speaking of her. Another championship and another MVP again. Like, is there anything this young lady has not done yet? <laughs> is there anything? And she's only Stewie twenty-six. Has not done yet? And then she's only
1: twenty-six. I mean, Holy she's doing what Maya Moore. She's God. doing what Maya Moore did. You know, when Maya came out, of, came out of UConn, the exact same thing.
0: I'm, I'm sitting. There, I'm sitting here looking at my Twitter, and she's like. Another MVP, check. Another championship, check. And I'm thinking to myself.
1: Now, look, look, the team that she played on is really good. I mean, yes. when you have Brittany Griner, Courtney Vandersloot, uh, you know, Allie Quigley, and mm-hmm. then, you know, a good group of Europeans. I mean, I was rooting really hard for Katie Liu and her sister <laughs> and, and Tiffany Hayes to, to win a championship. But it's like any team that's got Stewie, you don't bet against.
0: No. A championship game. It, it's you like it's against. like Tom Brady. You don't yeah, bet against Exactly. Brady.
1: <laughs> exactly. Or my or any team that has Dinah Tarazzi or any team that has Maya Moore or any team that has Sue Bird, You just don't usually don't you don't. And you know what? This, I'm really happy for Lou. Um it sounds like she had a really, really good year playing for the team in Spain with her sister. I just hope that Seattle is a great fit for her playing with Sue and playing with Stewie, Jewel Lloyd. I mean, they're loaded there. Oh, and, and, I, and I just you know
0: hope what that Katie
1: Lou it uses will be. the uh, momentum of the of the season in Europe and, and has a great year in the WNBA because she's due.
0: Bob, I, I think I think it will be because due to the fact that she's got you know, she's got a legend in Sue Bird who played at UConn. You got a teammate she just came, you know, got done playing with not too long ago. They graduated at the same time in Brianna Stewart who's little miss everything. You got Sue Bird who is the queen of assists. I mean, she should fit in just fine with all those players wow. that we've talked about.
1: Money you'd like to think so. Yeah, Um, you hope. You you hope. You hope it comes down to confidence. It comes down to, uh, you know, the trust that the coach has in you. And if she can earn that trust and with her teammates, I think she'll be fine. But, uh, yeah, I I think this is a really big year for Katie Lou as far as the WNBA is concerned.
0: Like, who are you really looking forward to seeing when UConn women's basketball tips off their exhibition season to see, you know, how they fit, like which, which players are you looking at that are, you know, coming in that are going to be starting practicing and which, what besides the, besides the usual suspects, which of the newbies are you really looking forward to seeing play? Well,
1: I mean, all of them. I mean, I just want to see how they fit in the grand scheme of things. I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition. With the, with the size of the roster that they have, there's going to be a lot of competition for playing time. And it, it's going to be, that's going to determine how DP Gino goes, you know, how ready are these kids. And hopefully there's normalcy this year. They come back in June, start getting a taste of what, what it's about. Then they go home and work out and then they get back together in August and off they go, um, you know, to spend the full season and get ready, get ready for the season. You know, yep. you, you've already seen videos of, of, uh, of AZ and Paige working out together. That's big. I mean, that's, I think that's the next big, big thing for Paige's development. She's got to get stronger. Yep. But we all knew that going in. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's not the, you know, most solid kid. I mean, she's kind of built like Stewie when Stewie came to UConn, except she's five inches shorter.
0: <laughs> yeah. A little lighter.
1: But, yeah. And a little lighter too. So she's going to get tougher. Um but, You know, she works hard. She moves well without the basketball. She's really good with that. Uh, But I'm just going to be interested to see what the competition is going to be like. Yeah, you know, you go by numbers and they have a lot of depth in theory. But do they truly have a lot of depth? That's going to be the biggest uh, thing, I think, in my mind, to see how these freshmen – you know, Fud's going to be a big factor. But how the other three do, that's to be determined. I'll be interested to see how that works out.
0: The player you mentioned, Fud. what – like, where – what does – like, because I – I've heard her name, but I don't, you know, know much. I mean. He was
1: the National High School Player of the Year as a sophomore. Okay. Okay, better than Paige. <laughs> she is, uh, she's an outstanding shooter. I mean, we're talking, we're talking Katie Lou, Kalina lewis Parking lap? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's an outstanding shooter. We're talking, we're talking Katie Lou, Kalina Mosquita-Lewis, then a type shooter. Oh, my. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: and and that's something they need. But You know, from a team standpoint, Luther, there's one area that UConn's got to get better at that they were not good at this year, and that was free throw shooting. Oh, tell me about it. Uh, Traditionally, they're high 70s, around 80%. They were right around 70 all year. And if you listen to our games... The, the the free throw numbers against ranked teams is staggering. It's 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 not even fifty five percent.
0: Didn't you tell me it was is staggering. like staggering? Like, now 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 granted,
1: now granted, in a lot of those big games, Liv right. and Aaliyah got more free throw opportunities because of the physicality of the game. So that's yep. a part of it, and to a point, even Kristen even had some had some woes this season. That's but that's an upset. area that's got to get better. If they're thinking this is going to be, if they're going to win a national championship or two during this stretch here, they're going to compete for the opportunity. They're going to always be in that position to win, but you need some breaks and you need to, to execute. And free throw shooting was a big, big factor this year. I thought, I mean, look when, when Kristen Williams missed those two free throws at the end of the Baylor game, Dev and mm-hmm. I looked at each other and thinking, Oh, here we oh, go again. No. We're going to have another heartbreak again. <laughs> now, fortunately it didn't work out that way, but uh but, yeah, that's an area that was a big, big, just un Yukon like this season was their free throw shooting, and that's got to get better.
0: Take them behind the curtain a little bit, like, commercial break-wise. What are, like, when you're looking at the stat sheet or when you're getting that nice little two-minute break before you guys, before you, Deb, come back on the air.
1: Are you talking in-game?
0: Yeah, like what, like, what are you, like, either you individually or – both of you kind of eyeing at the same time
1: after that three or
0: four minute stretch.
1: When we get to the break, um, when you hear the highlights at the end of the game, it's basically I'm writing the game story as we go along. So during the breaks, I'm immediately going to the scoring section of the stat monitor to, and to talk to my producer of what highlights we're going to take or what highlight we're going to take. And I have to form a script around that. So I'm usually in the middle of writing my script down that entire break of what we're, t- we're doing here. Um, i trying to figure out what the runs are, figure out how, how well they've shot the ball. Hey, they've made their last five shots, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I always tell Debbie, if there's something I'm going to tee up on, please let me know. Uh, we do that once in a while too, but uh, yeah, usually in game, I'm usually writing my script for the post game. So that goes, that, that happens usually during every
0: break. It's Can you believe this foremost. season? Can you believe this season's going to be an even decade? What do you mean, ten years of with your with your same broadcast? Oh, Debbie. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Debbie's not an athletic director anymore. Um, This year, she didn't work. She she gave it up because of just Mm. just it's it's such it's seven days a week, and she Mm. basically just had enough of it between you know parents and coaches and and all that it's being an athletic director is not an easy job and especially when you're going from coaches from fifth from fifth grade to twelfth grade Mm. it's not the easiest thing to do at a a private school so uh, I don't know what's next for Debbie Um, I know her husband uh, wants her to get back into the workforce doing something I don't know what it's going to be but uh, you know the invitation is always open to Debbie to come back each and every year and uh, we'll see what happens but uh, uh, it certainly would not be the same without her but the invitation's always open she's uh she's a good friend uh outstanding person you know good family wife wife uh great husband three great kids so uh so yeah um the the invites always open for her to come back
0: If the day that you decides not to come back is there like a short list of folks you'd like to have not even thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> not even you're, thinking you're, about look, it. you see, you're like me. You like you want consistency, and that's all you ask for. Either. In a I mean, a lot part,
1: depends on availability too. I mean, yeah. Morgan Tuck filled has filled in for Debbie on occasion. Um, not this, not the last couple of years, but uh, Debbie, um, Morgan would be a great choice. She was a natural at uh, at doing the games. I thought she was she was outstanding.
0: She was she. Um, she I'll put it this way: When she stepped in for Deb on a couple of occasions, I'm like, okay. If she, if Bob needed a new color handler, she she just took to it like a fish out of water, easy.
1: Yeah, and a lot depends on a: Are you local? I mean, yeah, you'd like to get you'd love to get a former player to do to do the games who knows the game. But a, are they available? Um, B, will they work for the rate that uh, that we offer? I mean, there's so many, there's so much. So much logistics. stuff that you have to, yeah, logistics you have to get involved with. So, uh, so we'll see. Hopefully, it's something I don't have to worry about for a couple of years, but you never know. <laughs> and um, it's just been fun.
0: Are you going to keep the coaches' corner open for next year? Or do you think, with if everything gets back to normal, we'll what has got to go back to exclusive Gito on the pregame chats?
1: I would, I mean, look, the, the coaches did a great job this year. Uh, Gino basically just got burned out with the zoom and the phone stuff. <laughs> and we were, we were the victim of that this year. Um, yep. Gino likes to be personable. He likes to be one-on-one. He sure. likes to be face-to-face. So if things are back to normal. Yep. Yeah, I, I would certainly say Gino's back next season, but uh, who knows? I mean, uh, who knows if we're even going to be traveling all the time next season long. I mean, one thing that uh, if this season has uh, discovered Companies uh, can do games remotely without paying all the travel costs that it takes to go for people to get to games and keep and save money for talent. We saw ESPN do that. And I guess okay. I'm hearing that's going to, that's going to become a regular thing for them. So is it going to be a regular thing for us? God, I hope not. Um, Cause the, you lose an element of the broadcast that way. But, exactly. Um, I'm not the one making the decisions. So, uh, you know, again, <laughs> I'm not, convinced when the football season starts in late August that uh, Mike Wayne and Chris and, and Adam are going to be in Fresno, California. My gut tells me they're going to be in the studio calling the game. That's that's just my gut right now. Um, yeah, so there, there's so many things still up in the air about what we're going to see for uh, for UConn Athletics starting next year, but the, the folks in Winston-Salem have that call. That's not a, that's not a local call. It's not a UConn call. That's a, that's a Winston-Salem call, so uh, we'll see what happens. I,
0: I hope. That a lot of the broadcast teams that did not get a chance to travel last year will get the chance to travel because I miss a lot of the effects of hearing the basketball shot. You know, shots going up, and if I can
1: mm-hmm.
0: hear with my ears, if it's a make or a miss. Even yeah. though sometimes when they make it, it's a, especially if the shot is just straight pure. You don't even hear the switch from the net. But you just right. have, but you just have that element of, okay, this is what a basketball game is supposed to sound like.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, sometimes this year's we just had canned crown noise, I mean, <laughs> it's not the same. You're right. Um, fortunately, we were able to figure it out with some of the, uh, some of the broadcast partners where they would put the announcers on two channels and then they would put the, the Nat sound on two separate channels where we could break it up and, and just use that. Uh, at least you have that in your headsets and you, you get a sense that you're at the game. Um, but again, Luther, I, you know, with the fact that uh, companies had so much success broadcasting remotely this year in a pandemic year, um, I think it ultimately, ultimately comes down to dollars and cents. Whether it makes sense, you know, I, I would say no. But uh, I just hope we don't uh, get. I hope we don't get to that point. Counting the pennies, so
0: I hope we don't get to that point because if it does, kind of like what they're doing with minor league baseball this year. No more yeah. championship series. The winners of each division. That's that. No more like deciding a best three out of five, or mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I understand we had a COVID year, but with everybody and these leagues being shuffled around and everything, it was nationals in a whole new league. But their travels a lot closer. Thank God for that whether to travel a little out to Fresno, California, or Sacramento. I mean, I miss those broadcast broadcast guys. I mean, I've met a few of them. I'm going to miss the fact that the Sounds will not play those teams anymore. But Mm -hmm. in a roundabout way, I'm kind of glad the Sounds are, you know, playing teams that they should have been playing all these years ago. Like Toledo to open the season in two weeks. We haven't seen Toledo. We, we, you know, Indianapolis, a Charlotte, a Jacksonville. We keep Memphis. We keep Omaha. We keep Iowa. But you lose those good ones like in Salt Lake City. You don't go to, you don't, you don't go to Round Rock, Texas anymore. For mm-hmm. the foreseeable future. You don't, I mean, you'll get St. Paul, but you won't see them for another year or two.
1: yeah yep. It's going to be interesting. Hey, uh, I got to wrap things up here. Yep. from my standpoint, I got, I got to run. But uh, thanks for having me on again.
0: No problem. Hopefully, when we get back. Hopefully, if I get you for a third time, hopefully, we'll actually be in somewhat normalcy, and hopefully, we'll be able to talk about the Avengers from the root.
1: Yep, indeed. Thanks for the time. You got it, pal.